Good evening. This is Dove Tesman, and you're back on equal footing. This week, I am not in the studio, so uh, put up, please, with a little bit poorer sound quality. My two wonderful guests are also calling in by phone. One is a repeat guest. We haven't had him on the program for over a year and a half now. We're in the thick of the pandemic at the time, and it's Rabbi Yarden Bloomstein. And, And Rabbi Yarden has been helping us over time understand Jewish ethics and theology as it pertains to real life mental health, particularly with teens. And tonight's program is, again, about teen reality. Many listeners have teens. Maybe they're teens listening. And this is this critical phase of development psychosocially where a lot of difficult stuff happens. How do we tie together our teen children's reality and the winds that buffet them and our spiritual or religious outlook on life. Well, Rabbi Yarden Bloomstein has helped us do that in the past. Let me introduce him for a second. He, his full-time job is as the teen director at the Friendship Circle of Michigan. And if, uh, he, and he also leads his uh, minion class, the Franco Jewish Academy. You'll often find him uh, leading that class or on a phone with a concerned parent or troubled teen, or a teen that could be in trouble and isn't because he's getting help from Rabbi Yarden and his colleagues. Rabbi Yarden always listens intently with patience and a full presence of mind and spirit, as we always have to do when working with teens. No judgments, no projections. At Friendship Circle, Rabbi Yarden is, as I said, the teen director. He's also a mentor. He served as a teen mentor as well through You Matter. Uh, and it's an organization, of Friendship Circle, that creates awareness surrounding teen mental health and empowers teens to support one another in school and elsewhere. Rabbi Yarden is have on this wonderful confluence. Rabbi, I hope you don't mind me saying this, you know, kind of objectifying you for a moment, but I've had so many rabbis in the program, and to see you take your your spiritual uh, learning, your ability to lead people through halachic questions or crisis of faith and combine that with your passion for helping teens and, and your work in therapy is just a beautiful life path. And I honor you uh, for that. And he also supports system and invites teens into his home for Shabbat dinner. So it's really the marriage of the, of the therapeutic and mental health approach and the uh, spiritual approach. Last year, for example, Rabbi Yardin and his wife, Bela, hosted more than 1,000 teens for Friday night Shabbat dinner. So, Rabbi Yarden, welcome back to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Rabbi, you helped us uh, contact our other guests, first-time guests on Equal Footing, Amanda Smith, also a wonderful teen advocate, getting her uh, Ph.D. PhD candidate at this uh, time, uh, focusing on teen mental health. She's been involved with numerous teen health organizations, including the Friendship Circle of Michigan for over 10 years with Rabbi Yarden and served as a program coordinator for, for uh, You Matter, the organization that we just mentioned. She holds a degree in Judaic Studies and Psychology. She's currently pursuing her psychology doctor, as I mentioned, and she works primarily with children and adolescents experiencing trauma, 
serious mental illness and anxiety and uh, depression. Uh, Amanda is working currently as a psychologist at a psychiatric hospital outside of Chicago. I'm not going to share the name for confidentiality's purpose because both Rabbi Yarden and, and Amanda Smith may go into some uh, you know, client and, 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 and patient case studies without betraying any confidence. Amanda, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. So, Amanda and, and, and Rabbi Yarden, so tonight we're going to be tackling something that was inspired by this week's Parsha, this week, uh, this week's portion of the, of the Torah or the Old Testament Bible called Balak, and it's about idolatry. And, you know, I remember probably most folks that went to uh, religious school in any Judeo-Christian context would know about the story of the golden calf and kind of the betrayal of the monotheistic message delivered by Moshe Rabbeinu, by Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, and how when he, you know, he leaves for this period of time, all of a sudden the people of Israel start worshiping this golden calf, kind of attributing God-like attributes to a thing, to a physical thing. And we were reflecting on this, uh, Yarden and Amanda, prior to the show, about how that seems so far-fetched, you know, with these crazy people worshiping an object as if it was God. And it's sometimes hard to take lessons out of something like that and apply it to contemporary reality in a meaningful spiritual, in a meaningful way spiritually. But when it comes to teen reality today, it actually isn't that hard to make the leap. And that leap tonight we're using as a portal, the concept, a very serious issue of celebrity worship syndrome. Now, celebrity worship syndrome, celebrity worship disorder, uh, fangirling, uh, other social media disorders, they're, they're in this category of, of uh, pathological connections uh, to individual celebrities. It can be a politician. It can be a pop star. It can be a, a writer, even someone on uh, you know, Real Housewives in New Jersey or whatever. And there's a whole study. It's, there's a lot of scholar, uh, scholarship and work that's gone on in the mental health field over the last couple of decades around this. It isn't anything new, though, and we'll get to that in a minute. So we're talking about idolatry tonight, contemporary idolatry, celebrity worship disorder. First of all, let's define what is idolatry, because you can idolize something in a positive way. Uh, you know, I can idolize, for example, Winston Churchill's leadership uh, capabilities in, in World War II, um, but I don't, I don't think of him as He's not an idol. I'm not worshiping Winston Churchill as as a god. Rabbi Yarden, what is idolatry? That is a great question. And since, you know, you brought up this topic and, you know, I've been thinking about it and kind of divulging and taking it apart. And I think when we talk about the word idolatry, we're talking about the process of taking an item or an object and using it out of context or more specifically we're giving powers to an item, to a, a situation, to a person that go beyond the framework of the relationship that it's supposed to be. So, for example, you're talking about um, uh, celebrities. You know, are we taking those things out of context? Yeah, you know, there's, there's, as we're going through the prep work for the show, we looked at the etymology of the word idolatry and trying to really differentiate. It was tough, wasn't it, to really distinguish correctly between idolatry and idolization. And idolatry, as you said, is like it's an extreme level of admiration or reverence that just isn't appropriate uh, for a person. When you make, for example, the pursuit of a particular uh, material good, what your life is all about, um, even even the most 
libertarian capitalists would agree that's 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 not healthy, and that can even be a form of an idolatry of a thing uh, where we associate it with really the meaning of life. We would refer to as you know as God or the God energy Hashem. So let's though distinguish Amanda between what it is to have an idolatrous relationship with, let's say, a celebrity, and and to be a fan, because um, there's a, there's quite a bit of research, Amanda, as I understand it, that actually um, being a fan can actually of something, a hobby or a person or an activity, can actually be very healthy in adolescent uh, psychosocial development. So when does it when does becoming a fan uh, move over to idolatrous behavior? You know, I think of a story of one teen that I worked with um, who became, initially was a fan of some celebrities, a set of twin brothers, and they became so obsessed with these celebrities that they were going to do everything in their power to communicate with them and to find them and to meet them. And this teen was talking to who they thought were the celebrities online, um, and it turned out to be this older male who... Um, you know, was posing as these celebrities and the teen was reaching a point of idolatry with these celebrities that they all um, kind of filters went out the window and they were going to go meet the celebra- these two celebrities and it didn't matter to them the safety of it. They weren't thinking of anything. And I think that's where it reaches the point of idolatry when these safety components and their filters and their thought process kind of goes out the window and they're blindly following yeah, there's so many references to this in, in modern day culture. I remember that I think it was a movie from 2002 or something like that called Swim Fan about this, this girl who gets obsessed with, uh, with, uh, I guess a star swimmer and ends up, uh, effectively kind of, I don't remember the exact plot, but killing the, 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 the person's, uh, ex-girlfriend and, and, and causing, it kind of, it becomes a center point of, of her life. I think that the, it's tempting though to think of, idolatry and teen idolatry is something that is uh, a new phenomenon. You know, it's about you know, Justin Bieber or maybe before that, the Beatles, or maybe before that about Elvis Presley. But is this, is this something that really is about modern pop culture, Rabbi Yarden, or is idolatry in, in, uh, in teen psychosocial development something that's, that's natural and been around for a lot longer? I love the way this conversation is going. It's already jumping so deep so quick. And you get into the idea of, I mean, the answer to your question is yes. It's been around forever, and yet it's developing in a whole new way, which I think we're seeing with so many teen concepts and world concepts where, like, yeah, it's the same thing that's been going on forever, but in a whole new dimension, dynamic, intensity, where there's so many more outlets and reinforcements um, we were talking about the idea of some of these um, social influencers. And, I mean, that's even a career that people can go into to become a social influencer. And in essence, what that do is is swaying the opinions and minds of others. Um, Amanda was kind of going off the idea of rationalization and levels of rationalization. At what point are we losing um, some of our anchoring in reality? And what point are we letting a rationality out the window in the hopes of grasping something a bit beyond. And I think that goes into today's society, that we have to be a bit beyond, to be a bit more than. And I think we see that all over, and especially in teens who are trying to identify themselves, 
or show that they're good enough. And one of the ways is is by being a bit more than. And I think that's kind of what this realm offers. Yeah, we're going to go to our first break in a moment. We're talking about idolatry, modern-day idolatry in teen communities. Uh, celebrity worship syndrome or celebrity worship disorder has been is now an actual diagnosable disorder in a lot of uh, mental health uh, texts. And there's this element I want to hit before the break, Amanda, that I was surprised to learn about in the research that is – this fine line around unhealthy attachment and healthy attachment. It, it was surprised to learn that there's like an individualization process the teens go through, kind of separating a sense from their parent. And it is natural to kind of attach to other adults, other role models, especially in your, in your teen years, in a way to kind of prepare for independence from your parents. I saw quite a bit of scholarship on that. So if you're listening to this program and you have a teen who's obsessed, I would say Justin Bieber, but I know believers, that's a little bit old hat at this point. You know, you're, you're, you're obsessed with a current, um, you know, celebrity, Robert Pattinson. I don't know. It's probably also old hat, but do you need to be automatically concerned for your child that there's an unhealthy attachment going on that can lead to yeah, narcissistic behaviors or is caused by low self-esteem or other stuff that's often associated with celebrity worship syndrome, or you just have to monitor it. And what are the symptoms you look for to know that it has passed some sort of healthy threshold into an obsessive and unhealthy territory? I think you're absolutely correct that there is a healthy transition from an attachment to parental figures to other adult figures. And no, I don't think parents have to automatically be concerned the minute they see their children or their teens starting to obsess over something. I think where it becomes unhealthy and where they should be more closely monitoring is when they lose grasp over their children and they kind of see their children losing grasp with reality, as I was speaking about before, where they're starting to engage in more unsafe behaviors. Um, At that point, it would be more concerning. And it becomes especially concerning, I would imagine, Amanda, when the celebrity being idolized engages in problematic behavior, right? Because then you've got a, you've got a significant role model, role model dissonance there. Absolutely. I completely agree. We're talking about idolatry. You know, thou shalt not put any gods before me. This is, this is up there, right? We're talking about right at the top of the list. The Ten Commandments. And, you know, I have already had a listener who knows our number, about to give out the number in a minute, write in a note, to distinguish between the Jewish view of idolatry, a little bit more narrow in this listener's listener, in, the Christian, in this listener's view, and the Christian view of idolatry. We'll get to that after the break. But let me give out the number for those of you who don't have it. If you want to text in a comment or question about idolatry in the context of being a teen a teenager in contemporary, let's say, contemporary Western society, text or or, uh, SMS or WhatsApp your question or comment to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. And if you want to call and participate live, have patience with us, because none of us are in studio tonight, so we need to give our sound engineer a minute and just stay on hold, if you would, and call 718 Three zero three nine zero nine zero. That's seven one eight three zero three nine zero 
1-800-878-9090. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. is brought to you in part by DocuVax. DocuVax, it's D-O-C-U-V-A-X. You can find it at D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com or on your app store on your iPhone or Android device. It's a very easy-to-use, cool system to store your medical records, your immunization and vaccine records, your uh, preventative screening results like colorectal exams and breast cancer screenings, your blood test results, allergy information, whatever it might be. The government doesn't own your medical information. Your insurance company doesn't own your medical information. Even your primary care provider, they may use it, but it's not up to them to have all your medical data. So put an end to that stress when you're switching medical providers, switching insurance companies, switching jobs that may require vaccine proof, uh, or anything else that has to do with organizing your medical records, including getting a low-cost, easy reference to a specialist. You no longer have to waste time and money scheduling with your GP just to get sent to the specialist that you knew you wanted in the first place. Access your medical records, and you get 24-hour support from DocuVax. Yes, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you have doctors and nurses on call who can validate your records, explain them to you, even help you with a reference to a specialist. So go to DocuVax.com or download the DocuVax app on your Android or smart or uh, 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 Apple smartphone, wish math tonight, or call 833-859-1933, especially if you want to get group discounts to DocuVax. You're a small business owner. You want to offer this very cool tool as an HR benefit, like a gym membership to your employees. Call 833-859-1933 and mention that you heard about DocuVax on equal footing and you get uh, group discounts. So it's as little as $6.99 per month. It can even be lower with group discounts. DocuVax subscribers privately access all their medical records. It's HIPAA compliant. It's totally secure. And you get 24-hour access, including in that cost of only $6.99 per month, access to doctors and nurses to help you validate your vaccine records, interpret your blood tests, or look at anything else in your medical locker. So take control of your medical file and sign up at DocuVax. All right, you're back on Equal Footing, and I'm Joe Cousin, and I'm here with Rabbi Yardin Bloomstein and Amanda Smith, and we're talking about idol worship, particularly in, in teen communities, and this. a lot of teen parents know about this celebrity worship uh, syndrome. Uh, Amanda... How often do you see this with your uh, teen patients? Is is this a common issue or related issues of idolatry very common, or are we uh, down a very narrow rabbit hole tonight? It's a great question. Um, I don't see it super often to a more clinical level, though I do see teens very frequently um, being incredibly influenced by celebrities to the point where it can get concerning, um, so they're not necessarily ending up in the hospital 
for this. Um, it's a component of them searching for a sense of belonging and a community. Amanda, how closely is this related to these social media disorders where uh, teens are uh, obsessed with how many likes they're, they're getting and how much visibility they have in the social media profiles? Are these like kissing cousin problems? Yeah, I would say so. I think teens really care about their image, care what they belong to, and I think they're searching for any avenue to do that. Um, and this is one of those avenues, and their presence on social media is another one of those avenues. Rabbi Yarden, do you agree with Amanda? It, it, it seems, based on our research, that it, it, somewhere between one-eighth and one-sixth of teens between 13 and 17 in the U.S. Have, are somewhere on the continuum of, continuum of this celebrity worship uh, syndrome issue. Uh, are we making much ado about nothing, or is this just something that's becoming more understood and is a widespread problem? You know, especially with um, the whole framework that the pandemic has done to some of the data, we're seeing we're seeing extreme increase in mental health need and in teens acting out. And we also know that um, there's a whole framework of teens that are that are doing things that we're not aware of. I'll, I'll give you one example. I'm supporting a few teens that are in the gaming world. And in the gaming world, you know, you jump into a game and you're with other people you don't know and you're communicating with them. And then you start following these expert gamers, so to speak, where you're watching them and you're watching them play. And then they start communicating to you. And not only that, now you've got companies that are hiring expert gamers as a form of advertising, where the expert gamer is advertising a product to you. And the question becomes is, years ago, we had the concept of subliminal messaging, like in the motion picture world, where every once in a while they'd slide in a frame that had nothing to do with the, the motion picture you're watching, with the hopes that right. you would connect those frames on a subconscious level in order to purchase, like, a drink that you weren't aware you wanted. And how much of, of, of the idolatrous process is dipping below one's radar rationality in order to get in touch with something a bit beyond and take control of a person? And I think that that gets also into, like, when you started with, what is the definition of idolatry? And just to throw in another component there, I mean, you know, obviously Judaism and other faiths, we do believe it in the concept of belief and irrationality. So now you have to start differentiating when is it okay and when is it not. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to use that as an opportunity to weave in this listener's uh, comment who I want, and I'm going to try to pull it up here as we're you're saying I may have spoken too soon. And, and differentiating, I'm, I'm going to do this somewhat um, paraphrasing, uh, but differentiating between the Jewish view of idolatry um, which is, is really to, 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 as I understand it, to place a godlike, to confuse a, a, a thing or person uh, with God or godlike attributes. And what is argued by this listener is a broader under, uh, view in the, in the Christian world when it's putting any kind of pursuit above the pursuit of God, whether that's material pursuit uh, or uh, uh, even even uh, physical love and, 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 and sex and fame and so forth. Uh, would you agree with this listener's view? Do you think that, do you think our, I mean, this is a Jewish show, but we always, of course, welcome lots of different points of view. Do you think the Jewish lens through which you view idolatry is more narrow, or do you disagree with this listener, Rabbi? Wow, that is such a great concept. And there's actually a midrash, a teaching. And, 
and, based and sorry, on... Rabbi, just just to give pardon me, yeah. just because I was able to pull it up on the screen, just to give this uh, to, to to be fair to this listener, they quote uh, Colossians three, uh, I guess verse five, where it says. Uh, in the Christian tradition, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, all of which is idolatry. I had never heard that quote before. So it's, that's that argument that in the Christian view, it's a much broader view of what we mean when we say idolatry. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your Midrash reference. No, that's, that's, that's a, a great context to it. And, I mean, there's a Midrash about the idea of a, 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 of a parable about... Um, people wanting to serve different entities. One person wanting to serve a king, one person wanting to serve a duke or, or a general. And it's within Judaism that what were they asking about? Like, why would you want to serve the king? Like, if you got some ultimate power, why would you want to serve a sub-power? And, they, and the Midrash goes on to explain that there is a spectrum to the concepts of idolatry and that the concept of deviating from the service of God is when I give my control over to something else, when I say I need something else to be good enough, when I'm trusting in God, but I also have these backups that I'm trusting on. Like, God, I believe in you. Which also, let's just take those two words for a second. Let's go too much on a tangent. Difference between belief and trust. Belief means like, yeah, like, I understand that concept's out there, but trust is I'm willing to put my life on the line for that concept. And I think when I start saying that there's a celebrity out there, which is where we started with this, or there's an entity out there, there's a concept out there, or my personal rant, the college system, there's a school out there that's going to make me invincible to life or make me not need a higher power that I choose to You, you mean God. like a teen, who's, a teen who's trying to get into college and thinks if I can get into, you know, you get into whatever, you see university, I can get into Princeton, whatever it might be. Uh, my life is set. I, I don't have to worry about, about God anymore. Exactly. Like, I, I'm good to go. Well, I think that when we, you know, I was worried before we got into the show because, of course, if we're talking about all the different forms of idolatry, you could throw in gluttony, you could throw in addictive behaviors, you could throw in kind of anything that distracts us from our, our higher selves and our higher purpose, it gets really broad really quick. But to bring it back to this, this issue of celebrity worship uh, syndrome. Amanda, I was reading a, a piece in, in, um, in clinical neuroscience in preparation for this show, and uh, by, it looks like a husband-wife team, Randy and Lori Sansone, that are doing a lot of research on celebrity worship and have now over a decade's worth of findings showing that, that the higher the score that teens have in placing celebrities um, as important people in their lives. And the more that they have, that they spend time, um, spending time on, on, uh, on, on sites or, or social media destinations related to celebrity, this gives a higher celebrity attitude scale, the CAS, and it correlates with lots of problems. And I guess I'm trying to be, a, I'm, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate to your early, earlier point that it may not be as big of an issue as, as we think. Um, the higher the correlate, of a positive celebrity attitude scale for teens 13 to 17 results in um, later uh, higher chances of clinical disorders around body image. They're um, almost 4X prone to four times more prone to cosmetic surgery. Um, there's often sensation seeking and high risk behavior, um, identity diffusion. Um, interesting, I thought this was interesting, later in life, much more prone to cognitive rigidity, the in inability to kind of absorb um, other ideas, and also a high correlation 
to narcissism, disassociation, clinical addiction, stalking behavior, compulsive buying, all sorts of bad stuff. So it's why is this? If there's this positive process of like individualizing our parents and idolizing good things and role models, why does it so, why does it seem to lead to all of this um, pathological behavior? You know, there's a concept in psychology of which came first or, and you know, our terms, what came first, the chicken or the egg. And you wonder if these people were already susceptible to these things and to these outcomes. And along the way, they're engaging in this idolatrous behavior and they're having these outcomes because they're blindly following and they're externalizing their problems onto someone else, onto this other figure. And there is a question of were they prone to these problems and would these problems have developed anyway, or is it a result of them engaging in this behavior? And if it weren't a celebrity, would they be engaging in idolatrous behavior to something else? Um, and there really isn't an answer of which came first. Yeah, it's all about the, we started with this definition and it's like when you say idolatry and it conjures up an image of like an, an idol, like the golden calf or some humanesque looking alligator used in like Aztec or Inca worship. <laughs> but that's not really what it's about now, right? It's about actual, you know, people that are put up on pedestals, whether it's on you know, TV or movies or, or, um, or, or, or music, uh, fashion, you know, politics, uh, et cetera. So it's like all around us. So on the one hand, it's like, Rabbi, is this, is this something, is like idolatry not really a sin we have to take seriously anymore? Is it like a thing of, of a few thousand years ago, or is it more prevalent than ever? It's, it's, uh, it's two sides of the coin. Yeah, and I mean, what you're bringing up, I think, brings up so many great points. You know, we talk about something being a sin, so it brings a lot of frameworks to mind. Like, did I do something that God's going to punish me for? Did I do something that um, you know, is a no-no, which obviously, you know, we got the commands for a reason. But also, when you look at the root word of sin in Hebrew, it comes from the word disconnection. And I think what, we, what we're doing is by living in this, you know, in this non-realistic framework, we're living in this, in this, um, in this imaginary realm, and we're kind of like having a relationship with somebody that's not having a relationship with us, there's a disconnection there, and that exists today just as much as it exists thousands of years ago, and right. arguably it's the same sin being resurfaced in a different way. Well, we'll be right back on Equal Footing. We're talking with Rabbi Yarden Bloomstein and Amanda Smith, a teen psychologist on idolatry in teen life, celebrity worship syndrome. We mentioned this thing at the outset of the show called fangirling. We'll get into what that is and what the difference is between that and celebrity worship disorder. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. 
So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Back at Equal Footing, and we're talking about modern-day idolatry, especially amongst teens, worshiping the musician of the moment, the pop star of the moment. I got a kick out of the following, Amanda and Rabbi Yarden. Uh, this, this story, I'll just read a, few, a couple paragraphs of it. It first appeared on a website for the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. Here it goes. The house lights dim and the curtains draw open. Making his way to center stage, a sea of adoring fans, overcome with excitement, emotion, and genuine adoration, celebrate his entrance with a collective cacophony of shrieks and roars. Love letters and marriage proposals are tossed and shouted from the audience below. Near pandemonium breaks out as he launches into his repertoire of pop hits. Is this a typical Justin Bieber show? at a big city sports arena circa 2011? No, it's a scene that was described from a typical performance by Franz Liszt at the Italian Opera House in Berlin in 1842. Franz Liszt was a 19th century Hungarian piano virtuoso who had two, two firsts to, his claim, to, to claim. First, he was the first star called a pop star. And he was also the first to have the word mania added as a suffix to his name, list mania, to refer to the crazy adoration that would occur around him. Of course, since list, we've had lots like this, right? Amanda, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, the Beatles, Menudo, Justin Bieber, etc. But it seems, if this is going on in 1842, I'm sure it was going on in you know, 1700. Uh, maybe Beethoven had his, uh, his pop fans um, and, and, and going for hundreds and thousands of years. Anytime something like this is so innate to the human experience, there's a part of me, Amanda, that wants to say, this has to be good. I, I, I'm, I'm sure there are listeners rolling their eyes right now, but there has to be some reason why we do this, why we want to adore like this, why we want to worship a performance, worship an artistic expression is can, can this, is this all bad? This is not all bad. And I do agree with you. There are good components to it. And evolutionarily, humans are designed to be relational beings. And people are seeking connections with others. They're seeking a sense of belonging. They're seeking a place in a community. And I would argue that that's the reason these things are happening. When it reaches a more extreme level, that is when we have to be more concerned with it and more aware of it. And that's when it leads to more mental health issues and all the issues that you were speaking about before and when people do end up in treatment for these things. Amanda, if you're a parent listening, does it matter who the celebrity is that's being worshipped? So if you have a teen that's worshipping the Kardashians, is that the same as a teen who's obsessed and worshipping 
I don't know, Einstein, uh, is do, do, you, do you need to get into that weeds? There's any kind of obsessive, addictive relationship um, with with a particular person have an intrinsically unhealthy or potentially unhealthy element? I would argue that any obsessive relationship or any obsessive behavior towards someone or something can be concerning. Um, however, as you were mentioning earlier, there are figures, there are social media influencers who are struggling on their own and they are modeling behavior that is different than maybe behavior that Einstein would model. Um, and when someone is worshiping Einstein and copying that behavior, it would be different than them copying the behavior of a struggling influencer who's engaging in addiction and using substances and things like that. Yeah, let's talk about influences for a second, Rabbi Yarden, and then we'll take this caller who's been patiently waiting. When we were preparing for the show, you were encouraging us to, uh, both our, our producer, Leah, and myself, to really think about the, uh, as opposed to maybe the celebrities that as adults we may think of that are uh, acclaimed, um, you know, musicians or, or, or actors or, or politicians. So in, in the world of the teens you work with, Jewish teens for the most part, are there celebrities that they're worshiping um, other teens that are, are influencers or other young people that are influencers that we as, as, as adults or as parents may not even know? Oh, for sure. Totally. There's, there's this whole sub-network in the teen world. I mean, you go on TikTok, and teens, first of all, are, are connecting at a high rate, but they're also being influenced at a high rate, and you see trends. You see patterns. Um, and there's so many great examples. There's an article from Robert Sapolsky um, who writes about behaviors. He says that teens have two tendencies that always show up. One is that they want to act out, and two is that they want to conform. So when you have a teen is being connected to another teen in an influential way, what they're looking for is a teen that's doing something to act out, and then they try to conform to that. We see this in the mental health realm, right. where you see pockets of teens struggling with a, a mental health challenge, such as an eating disorder or drug use or anything else. We also see this in the influential realm, where they don't even realize they're doing this. They're being influenced. They choose influencer, but they don't realize what, how they're being influenced. It's not just dress or speech. It's, it's their emotional regulation that they're regulating to this other person. Yeah, and it gets it, it, it's scary if you spend a little bit of time going down this this rabbit hole and looking at some of the influencers uh, on TikTok, uh, for example. There's there's quite a bit of of scholarship around around the behavioral emulation that goes on and how quickly um, this can not only become pathological but fatal. I mean, the story recently about this uh, TikTok challenge to TikTok challenge to. Um, to you know, dig a hole on a beach and a teen who, I think it was in New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken, who, you know, dug the hole and, and, and drowned in it. Uh, it's just, and just things that on the face of it would seem, uh, uh, just colossally stupid, um, you know, become, become not only emulated, but worship behavior, um, uh, based on, on this kind of influencer dynamic. Call, uh, caller, uh, line one, you've been patient. Let's get you on the air. Hello. Good evening, Doug. Hey, Stan, how are you? It's hot. Yes, it's hot. <laughs> yes, in New York, it's over 90 degrees. Yes. Shoot. Anyway, idolatry is normal in the worst possible way. It's been normal and accepted by societies forever. And no one does anything about it. No one ever will. It's acceptable 
It's understandable. It's treacherous. And it's destructive. And I don't see your guests talking in that area. Uh, they say this and that. Well, but Stan, the great, you, you know, our, our leaders. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just asking, I just want to ask you a question because we struggled on the show, myself included, to actually nail down the definition to make it relevant to contemporary life. So when you say idolatry is all of those things and very bad, what does idolatry exactly mean to you in modern day? Well, we're seeing it in modern day. I mean, it could be. I mean, you're you're emphasizing the the, the youth, the greatest fear is the adult always has been youth is one thing Elvis Presley came and went Frank Sinatra came and went music is always here but it's it's not in the overall will kill somebody in the long term but adult idolatry and people worship such as a Hitler such as a Mussolini even a Christ I'm not putting them in the same company I'm just saying Hitler, was, there was plenty of that with Hitler, with the Christ. It is more of that type of adultery that needs to be put under the microscope. Kids coming, yeah, you know, they'll, they I, have fads every day. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing it up, and you actually, you kind of, you kind of, sold, you kind of uh, shined a light on something I'm embarrassed about, Stan. And I'm never embarrassed. No, that I am, that I am. You never, what? What? As we were preparing for, for, for this show, uh, we really wanted to cover uh, idolatry in the populist sense. Um, you know, the, what happened around the movement with Trump, what's been going on with popular, populist movements around the world. You could even argue it's gone on with Black Lives Matter and kind of this, um, these populist movements where anything that is inconsistent uh, w- with logic gets kind of swept under the rug or people are refusing to see things from all the angles because there's an idolatrous relationship. There's a projection of perfection, which one psychologist that we read, that's how they defined idolatry, the, perf- the projection of perfection. And we wanted to talk about that, but you know what? I was scared, Stan, and I appreciate your point, as I always do, uh, calling me out on stuff, scared to do that on the air because I thought it would get too, too political. So we talked about what happens with teens. But, you know, teens do become adults, and it's that behavior. And I, I want to test this out on you, Amanda, if you think that, Teens that are more prone to idolatrous behavior, uh, it's, we recognize a continuum, but towards the high celebrity attitudinal scale um, association, more pathological relationship with celebrity worship, are they also prone to be more susceptible to be idolatrous adults and to blindly follow a populist leader and so forth? Does that transition happen, uh, or, or is this, uh, are we too far afield? You definitely see that transition, um, you know, in society and people biologically or genetically are more prone one way or the other. So someone who's genetically prone to have certain disorders or have certain mental health issues um, as a baby when they're born, that will be present throughout their life, whether that shows up or does not, depends on their environment a lot of the time. Um, but if they're doing it as a teen and their environment has influenced them to do that, then there is a chance that they will do that as an adult and that it will continue into adulthood. Yeah, the evidence seems to show that, and that's, that's why we went with the more vanilla version uh, stand here tonight and talking about a less controversial 
an expression of modern day idolatry in celebrity idol worship and uh, fangirling, which I keep promising we'll, we'll get to. Okay, I gotta respect Rivka from Borough Park, uh, who writes that I should actually quote from Kumash, and there's no confusion as to what the Jewish faith's definition of idolatry is. So, Rivka, I'm going to follow your request. Exodus 20, verses 4 through 5, defines idolatry specifically, Rabbi Yarden, as follows. And tell us why if this is uh, just the tip of the iceberg. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. That's those graven images. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Okay, topic for a different show, the concept of the jealous God. I always struggle with that one. But this does seem like a pretty narrow isthmus here, Rabbi Yarden. doesn't seem like we can put in money or fame or a college or other things into this. It seems like it has to be a graven image or a likeness of anything that is in heaven above, the earth beneath, or the water under the earth, and that you shall not bow down or serve that graven image. Is that really the definition we have to accept of idolatry as Jews? Um, I want to. I want to. I want to comment on that, but I also want to back up and comment on Stan for a second, if that's okay. Stan gave a lot of examples where the number one followers were the youth. Um, if anything, people followed the youth into those movements. So I think when we start talking about the youth, whatever part of the spectrum, that is also the broader concept here, where the youth have a voice. Which, in this context, we're talking about today, we're trying to be careful about some of the negative impact. But then there's a whole positive impact about the power of the voice of the youth and the power of what the youth can accomplish. And just like they can create a tidal wave of following somebody blindly beyond reason and move from admiration into um, some of the things we're talking about today, they can also create a movement of positivity that cannot be stopped in the same way. In regards to Rivka, it's awesome. Um, the first of the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Um, that what is the message behind that? Why do we talk about the God who took us out of Egypt versus the God who created the world? And the idea is that we have to put our faith in God. It's an act of faith. That's one of the 613 commandments. We talk about idolatry. It's a separation of that faith or allowing others to become that entity. It's also Maimonides um, where it brings down the concept of a God of gods versus having one God. And fascinatingly enough, Maimonides starts with a question. If you believe in the creation of the world, then you believe that there was a point in history where the only thing everyone knew was one God. So how do we ever add another God in the picture? In other words, it's someone wake up one day and say, yeah, everyone believes in one God, but let's go to two. And he walks us through the history of that process in the idea and the concept that it started off with saying, yeah, God, you're great, but there's other ways I can get what I need, and I don't need to be reliant upon you. So part of idolatry and part of faith and belief is reliance. Yeah, and it's, 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 all, it's all so complex. It's, it's ever as black as white as it seems in the surface, right? It's so important to talk about these things and keep an open mind. There's a, a listener who encourages us to actually get into the etymology of the word fan, which we talked about earlier, and uh, thank you. We actually did some of this research, and so we're prepared. Uh, fan, Amanda, comes from the word fanaticus, which is a, uh, a, a, a original Latin word, which is divinely inspired enthusiasm. 
So that doesn't sound too bad. And we've talked to you a couple times here in the back and forth, Amanda, with the positive elements psychosocially that come from being a fan of something or, or a healthy um, degree of attachment. So I would think, and I, now I may get in trouble, uh, but I would think to tie this back to Rabbi Yarden's point that from a religious perspective, that it's not entire, it's, it's okay probably to have that divinely inspired enthusiasm, even if it's not about something divine. You know, I, lo- I am a, I am absolutely a fan, probably an obsessive fan of chess. I'm an obsessive fan of my dog, Jiju. Um, those are not divine things, but my relationship with those things, as long as I keep things or, or beings, as long as I keep it healthy, you know, kind of make me feel often closer to God in either I'm expressing love for my dog or I'm, or I'm having a, 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 um, I'm really doing critical thinking and, and strategy playing, playing chess. So I feel like, Amanda, that with parents, they're, they're, they're one of the lessons here is we've got to create, uh, we've got to have space for seeing the pathology in this idolatrous behavior and space for also seeing it as, as, as what can be part of a healthy attachment style. There's absolutely a healthy component, and as you were mentioning, you know, you're a fan for your dog or you're a fan of chess, and we need to have passions, and we need to have things that make us excited and make us happy, and so there is a healthy component to connecting with others or appreciating a celebrity or utilizing social media to connect with others. There's also many unhealthy components to it, as we've talked about, and so it is okay to create space for teens, for adults, for children, for anyone to use these things, to be excited by these things, to be excited by other people. And there's also a space to be aware of it and, and watch for it. We've been promising Amanda to talk about fangirling. And this is the dynamic that it go, where, where it goes from a fan relationship to a toxic fan relationship, sometimes a more gender-neutral way to refer to it in recent years has been a stan, like a stalker fan. And these, you see these like echo chamber environments where like dissident views are not accepted and social media groups or anybody criticizing anything about whatever's the subject of the fandom is ostracized, sometimes even threatened or put in danger. How do you, how do you identify when your teen has gone from being a healthy fan to a stan or involved in toxic fangirling? I think it can get tricky, um, but I think, again, it goes back to that obsessive component. Um, And there was a teen that I was working with this past year who, um, as Yarden was mentioning, the the new role of gamers who was kind of fangirling, if you will say it, over a gamer um, to the point where they lost their own identity in the process and this teen was unaware of who they were and they were trying to become this gamer or take on the identity of this gamer. Um, and they were engaging in, you know, some verbal aggressive behaviors and talking inappropriately to other people. And at that point, I wouldn't say that that is pathological or that is, you know, reaching a clinical threshold, but that's the point of concern. Um, and that, you know, when they're adopting the behaviors of, these celebrities, of these influencers, of these gamers, that's where I would be watching out for it. All right. Well, we're here with Amanda Smith and Rabbi Yarden Bloomstein talking about idolatry 
in the context of teen life, teenager life. We'll be right back to wrap up. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Manhattan Medical. This is difficult stuff to talk about, but it's important. There's nothing shameful about it. It's erectile dysfunction. It affects as many as 70% of men in their lifetimes. It can affect the emotional health of a relationship. There are alternatives out there that don't involve expensive blue pills and that don't have the side effects and the issues with comorbidities that prevent certain people from using those therapies for erectile dysfunction. I'm talking about Manhattan Medical's new effective gains wave therapy. The gains wave therapy for treating erectile dysfunction is non-invasive, it's surgery-free, and it's painless. It's been around for quite a while in Europe and even Canada, recently in the United States. It's getting rave reviews. There are no side effects from Gaines Wave. And for most patients, there are wonderful results, even for men into their 80s. Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave therapy can help you call for a free consultation. You don't have to be in Manhattan. You don't have to be in New York. Anywhere in the United States, you can do a teleconsult with Manhattan Medical about their Gaines Wave therapy for erectile dysfunction. Call 888 888- EDQR9. That's 888-EDQR9 or 888-332-8739. If you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy for erectile dysfunction on equal footing, you'll get a $250 free consultation, $250 value in the form of free consultation. So call 888-332-8739. Call now. I've been caught. All right, we're back on equal footing. We're talking about the first commandment, that you shall not worship any other god. It's related to the first commandment. That's idolatry, and particularly with teens. And we're wrapping up here with Rabbi Yarden Bloomstein and Amanda Smith, wonderful teen advocates who work compassionately and through a a spiritual and Jewish lens uh, with uh, teens in trouble, teens facing challenges. Okay, as we often do, I want to wrap up with a bit of devil's advocacy. And let's, let's, let's see, I'll just kind of uh, take this uh, randomly. Amanda, if you could make the argument for listeners that the, it, the rational argument is, do you understand it, that it's much ado about nothing, that really the celebrity worship uh, disorder, uh, celebrity worship syndrome, which has been acknowledged by certain mental health texts and not by others, uh, fangirling or, or uh, 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 stanning, stalker fanning, some of these things are really not a big deal. It's all part of a natural spectrum. What's the rational argument as a parent? Keep an eye out. Don't worry about it too much. And then we'll go to the other point of advocacy. I think the rational argument there could be recognizing that, you know, as you were saying, it is more common and it is common for teens to seek um, sources out that they are kind of following. They their role models, so to speak, um, and that this is just typical team behavior. 
Yeah, I definitely hear that a lot, and you see some of that in the literature as well. Well, you're going to wrap us up, Rabbi Yard, and this time you usually try to wrap up on the lighter note, but wrap us up on the, the tougher note. This is a this is a big issue. You said it can even lead to really pathological behavior, even at the very extreme in the form of dangerous you know, extremist populist movements. And i got to give a shout-out in this last question to you, Rabbi Yarden, to Will from L.A., who literally sent me a list of 20 different pathological behaviors that he thinks we should have mentioned as, uh, as idolatrous. And I'm not going to go through all 20, but there are a couple that I thought were, were fun. Um, one was idolizing uh, your wardrobe. Um, uh, let's see, television. Uh, uh, Neglecting God for sports. Uh, let's see. Um, obsession with astrology. <laughs> so, uh, and and here's one where it really hit home: um, having a, a, a cultish or obsessive relationship with your pet. Okay, all right. So, having I'm saying that in a joking way, but I think the point here is that um, this is anytime we get obsessed with something, it, it doesn't bring us health. That that can cause um, it can cause pathological. Uh, behavior and our, you know, and, and parasocial behavior, it's, uh, it's a problem. Rabbi Yarden, why is this a huge issue? And end us with a, perhaps a, a, a call to action. Um, for sure. I think that gets into when um, one of the articles that are out there is talking about the difference between when is it just admiring to stepping into dangerous celebrity status or in all these frameworks? When is doing, you know, a bunch of people do drugs or alcohol, and some of them are abusing it, some of them are using it, and some of them are addicted to it. It's not that, you know, alcohol is evil. It's the frameworks. And when the frameworks get washed, it gets very challenging to see how far you're going to go. And that list of 20 things, you know, having some nice clothing isn't a problem. It's when you take it out of context. And ultimately, that goes into who are you being real in front of? Who do you have a real relationship with? One of my pet peeves are you got to have a trusted adult. You gotta have someone in your life that you're open and honest with, not someone who doesn't know you exist, not someone who's living in their own reality that you're following, such as a celebrity status situation, but someone who knows you and cares about you and that you mean the world too and that they mean your world. And I think that, I mean, in the suicide prevention world, the, the amount of resilience that comes from having a trusted adult is astounding. And then you talk about all these frameworks. You need your anchor. You need the person who keeps you grounded in your world, in your journey, and your struggles of today. And I think that that's, that's where we're at. Got you. Rabbi Arden Bloomstein, Amanda Smith, thank you for being on. And with, we talked about Albert Einstein, we'll end with a quote by him. Everyone should be respected as an individual, but no one idolized. We'll catch you next week. 